Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Your guide to protecting your personal health. Bringing you simplified answers to the complex questions surrounding healthcare. Everything from cancer to liver transplants. Nutrition. Exercise. My yoga and Pilates instructor, Dana Goodale. Mental health and even pet care. Dr. Wayne Hunthausen, Westwood Animal Hospital. Empowering you to take control of your health and wellness. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy. Just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. And now, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Our producer, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. 285 affiliates strong. The latest one, WIBC-FM in Indianapolis, Indiana, just joined us a couple of weeks ago. We're on the air for two hours. They're very happy to have them on board and say hello to all the folks in Indianapolis, Indiana. If you want to follow me on Facebook, you can do that at America's Healthcare Advocate. That's America's Healthcare Advocate. Also, when you hear one of these shows, we get a lot of people that call and want us to send them a show. They're on all the podcast platforms, TuneIn, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. All of the shows are up there. They're also posted on the website. So there are lots of places where you can get a broadcast. And we did the show with Dr. Sperling down at Prostate Treatment Center in in Florida. We got a lot of response. That's typical. So again, the podcast platforms, TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spreaker. If you need help with health insurance, if you're looking for Medicare, or maybe you're doing something with the new extended open enrollment period for Obamacare, the lovely Joyce Thompson is happy to help you at RPSBBDI 877-388. 2224 and if you're looking for employer-sponsored health care, Sue Dendinger is a true expert. I know because I worked with her for two years. She also has access to some very unusual opportunities, self-funded platforms like Pareto and Berkeley. So again, you can reach Sue at 877-385-2224. So we've got a great show today. Joining me today is Mike Sendoma from Sports Medicine Concept. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much, Kerry. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's an, it's an honor to be on your show. We're happy to have you. So this is really going to be an interesting show, folks, because they do some very unusual stuff. They're out of Avon, New York, but they service clients all over the country. And basically what they're doing is emergency medicine training and rehab work. And if you go to their website and you look on the website, you'll see sportsmedicineconcepts.com. You'll see a picture up there of a Seattle Seahawk on a stretcher being ready to be taken off the field by an EMT emergency ambulance crew, and that happens to be a crew that Mike Sindoma trained. Mike, what you do is pretty unusual. Why don't you talk a little bit about your business and what you do, and how did you get into this? Because this is certainly out of the norm. Mike? Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm happy to talk about that. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, the The image that you're uh, talking about on the on, on our website uh, was chosen specifically because that was uh, an incident that happened um, uh, when the Seattle Seahawks were playing the Dallas Cowboys. And we had just recently trained with the Dallas Cowboys staff and they were intricately involved in 
um, helping the Seattle Seahawks medical staff manage that um, particularly scary injury at, at the time that it happened. The reason that we put that up there was because the management of that particular incident went so well that it resulted in a call from the athlete to the medical staff for the Dallas Cowboys to, to say thank you for helping facilitate his care through the Seattle Seahawks medical staff as well. And that resulted then in the Dallas Cowboys staff calling us uh, and letting us know uh, that they really appreciate the work that we do with them and that um, that, that it turned out to, to have a positive effect on, on the care that they were able to provide. So we were very, very proud of, of that moment uh, to receive a call like that is it, it, it creates a lot of pride here on, on our end. So that, that's why we have that up there because we're, we're very proud of, of the outcomes that, that we seem to be uh, to seem to have an influence on. Uh, and that, you know, kind of goes, speaks to directly to what we do, which is we provide sports emergency care training and emergency action plan services for medical teams. And we do that across all platforms, uh, all levels. Um, but in particular, we, we focus or uh, we're really good at providing uh, emergency response training for elite medical teams that operate in uh, very unique settings, very demanding settings. Um, and our expertise is in informing their emergency action plans, uh, as well as training interdisciplinary medical teams how to work together in those unique settings. Yeah, so, so you're, you're you're seeing a picture of a yeah. Okay, so you're I because I, I love your 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 tagline or your mission statement as part of your mission statement. Be prepared or prepared to respond. Prepare to respond flawlessly. I and I Correct. at first I was kind of like, okay. Then I went up on the website and I started looking at everything you're doing. I'm, yeah, they better respond flawlessly because you're you've got somebody's yeah. life in your hands, and it's not just pro athletes. I mean, you guys, you know, you have you know, you. You provide an environment where sons, daughters, moms, and dads are free to experience the positive attributes of what you guys do. So it's not just, even though you focus a lot on elite, you also work with a lot of other teams around the country that are that are athletic organizations for children and, and students. Am I right? Yeah, that is correct. We we um we don't necessarily focus on elite training. It just that is what other people focus on, and when they think about us. Uh, because, you know, those elite level uh, medical teams are more exciting for people outside of our organization. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right. We, we work with medical teams and athletic trainers and physicians that service high schools, that service youth organizations. And, you know, from our perspective, that's just as exciting as some of the elite teams. It, it's a different style training. It's a different type of program that we provide for them just because they have certain assets, um, you know, the pro teams have different assets that we have to account for during the training. But, um, yeah, we, pro we provide that training across all platforms at, at all levels. And it's, uh, you know, our, our mantra is not to work with elite medical teams. Our, our mantra is to affect outcomes for critically injured athletes, and it doesn't matter uh, what level athlete you are. If, if you have a uh, an injury, we want that injury to be managed in such a manner that you have the greatest opportunity to walk away and play that game again 
uh, as soon as it's as soon as it's possible and safe for you to do so. So, how critical is that, Mike? I mean, you know, you, you guys, you actually have a helicopter pad at your facility, and then I see, you know, you're training, you know, these crews from all over the country. How important is it? Let's say, that, you know, we've got a soccer team here in Kansas City and a huge soccer field with all kinds of kids playing on different. Uh, you know, groups that we have here, different different, different uh, organizations and teams, how important is it those people on the sidelines there are trained properly? So if a child gets a concussion or goes down with what looks like a broken leg or a broken arm or some other issue, how, how important is all of that so they get that care that they need immediately and it doesn't become a problem? Because that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Uh, correct, to, to some degree. I mean, you, you have to remember that you know, athletics and competition, there, there is injury inherent in, in that. Uh, and we like to think that our role is not necessarily, of, of course, we want to try and prevent as many injuries as possible. That, that goes without saying. Uh, but we also acknowledge that in competition, there are going to be injuries and, and we're not going to be able to eliminate those. Uh, but if we are prepared to manage those injuries properly when they do happen, then we prevent secondary injury from happening. So if, if, a, if an injury such as your example of a, a broken leg, uh, if that's not managed properly, a, a number of things can happen. We, we can have secondary injury or secondary complications due to mismanagement, uh, which obviously is something we want to avoid um, because that leads to health complications you know, further down the road either acute, uh, acutely or, you know, later in someone's, uh, someone's life. And we want to try to avoid those. Um, yeah, so, you know, that, that's extremely important. Um, and it's also important because if we manage that injury that does happen correctly, we give that athlete or that patient the greatest opportunity to walk away from that athlete and return to play quicker. So depending on what we do in the first couple of minutes of that injury, can really have a significant effect on how long that athlete is away from competition or away from the ability to play. So, you know, it's kind of twofold. Um, injuries just in general, we want to get that athlete back as soon as we safely can. Um, but at the same time, if, if it's a critical injury, we want to make sure that that's handled so that there isn't unnecessary complication associated with yeah. that it's very important obviously that they get that immediate care and it's done the right way and that's really a lot of what you guys do we're coming up on the break when we come back from the break i'm going to ask mike he's been doing this since 1995 to talk about how did all this start stay tuned you're listening to america's Healthcare advocate broadcasting here on the hia radio network coast to coast across the usa if you want to find out more about these folks the website sportsmedicineconcepts.com sportsmedicineconcepts.com train people all over the country stay tuned we'll be right back with more after the break Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Lots of videos up there. There's even a new set up there with me in the yoga and Pilates studio with Dana Goodall. No, you're not going to see me do a lot of exercises, but nonetheless, um, there are some pretty good videos up there. Dana does a great job of illustrating the, the you know, 
the positive aspects of yoga and Pilates. So and I've been doing it for 12 years. It's well worth your time to take a look at it on the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Our producer, the always perfect Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Joining me today, Mike Sendoma from Sports Medicine Concept, the website, sportsmedicineconcepts.com. Very unusual company. I didn't even know a company like this existed. Okay, They essentially train EMT, emergency crews, air ambulance crews, uh, ambulance crews in sports medicine. So those guys you see on the sidelines at the NFL games, a lot of those guys were trained by Mike Sendoma and his team. So we're talking to him about you know sports injuries, how proper treatment needs to occur immediately, and how they do that, how they train for that. So Mike, I'm going to go back and ask you, to because I, as I said before I went out, you've been doing this since 1995. Pretty unusual. There's a story about you and football what, what, that got you into this. What, what's, what started all this? Sure. This is not the trajectory uh, that I saw my career taking. I, this, I, I have to admit, I'm, I, I didn't plan all this to happen. Uh, but very early on in my career as an athletic trainer, uh, I was on the sideline of a football game at a local high school and a player on the other side was critically injured, uh, made a helmet to helmet collision with another player on our team. Um, and when we got to him on the side, uh, out on the turf presented with some very troubling signs and symptoms. Um, and it became very clear to me that even though I had been trained as an athletic trainer and had my master's degree and all that kind of stuff that I, w- I was not, I was ill prepared to handle that moment, the gravity of that moment. And then when we activated the emergency action plan, I, I realized that in order for that to be managed properly, for that athlete to be managed properly, it takes a coordinated effort or choreographed effort between athletic training, between EMS, between physicians, and a multiple uh, array of disciplines that are responsible for making sure that that athlete is handled properly. And it became crystal clear that I was not ready to handle that, um, all that needed to happen to make sure that that athlete was handled properly. In the process of me uh, discovering that for myself, I looked down through the face mask of that athlete and I watched him lose consciousness. His eyes rolled back into his head. He lost consciousness and started to show signs of respiratory distress. And it became blatantly obvious to me at that point that if we didn't do something, this was not going to turn out uh, very well. Uh, And that was very troubling to me because it was at that instant, I realized that I wasn't dealing with a football player anymore. I was dealing with a kid, a kid whose parents were in the stands watching this happen. And I felt this very, very heavy weight of responsibility. Um, And when I, thankfully, that instance turned out fine. That athlete made a full recovery in spite of our uh, lack of ability to, to do things properly, which I, I believe was true at the time. I just took it upon myself from that point forward. I was never going to be involved in that situation again. And that led me down the path of discovering more systematic and comprehensive ways of dealing with emergencies in athletics um, and also a more systematic approach to training the medical teams and all the various disciplines that are on the field during the management of that situation and, and how we properly choreograph, how we properly communicate, how we properly allocate skill and, and resources to give those athletes the best chance uh, of, of walking away from that injury. And that is probably the single most important uh, 
time that eventually led to the creation of sports medicine concept. You know, it's interesting because um, Life Flight Eagle, my partner, Steve Sanborn, who you know, uh, brought me into Life Flight Eagle 15 years ago. The air ambulance service here in the Kansas City Metro services about 32 counties. Um, and I've done multiple, multiple shows over the last 15 years of people that have been in horrible accidents, um, you know, stroke, heart attack, all the rest of it. And it's really interesting because, you know, they call it the golden hour, the time you have between the time that one of these things occurs and you get them to a hospital and into whatever trauma treatment center. How does that How does that equate to what you guys do? How much time when you have a situation like that? That was quite a story. That was very compelling. I would imagine that was pretty yeah. humbling for you as well because, you know, here it you was. are, you got a master's, you know, you think you're the guy and this happens and you're going, wow, I, I wasn't ready for this. So how does that equate, you know, what I just talked about with Life Flight Eagle to now where you guys are today and what you do all around the country for high schools, colleges, pro teams, semi-pro teams, et cetera? We, we train on uh, what, we, what we call in two minutes or less. So we train medical teams to be able to respond and stabilize a critically injured athlete in less than two minutes. Uh, and we do that because we know that many, many benchmarks um, that have uh, a measurable impact on outcomes have to be accomplished within four minutes. So, and those are standards set by organizations such as the American Heart Association and some, uh, some of the various trauma academies and, and so on and so forth. So our philosophy is that if that has to happen in four, we're going to train to get it all done in two. Because if we can do it in a practice setting and get that done in two, that leaves an, an additional two minutes left over uh, to deal with all of the real, true life stuff that happens, all the chaos that happens when you have a critically injured athlete. And we can navigate all that chaos and still hit our important performance benchmarks in that four-minute critical period. And that leaves us, uh, you know, that doesn't seem like a lot of time, four minutes. But when you're talking about that golden hour that you brought up, that's a great point to bring up. Because think about what ultimately what that athlete needs uh, is that athlete needs to be in the emergency room, not on the field, not in an ambulance. They need to be in the emergency room. Uh, and that has to happen in an hour. So you're talking about getting an athlete stabilized on the field, transferred to an EMS gurney, put in the back of an ambulance, transferred to the appropriate facility, navigate through the emergency department and get to the level of care that they need. That has to happen in an hour. So our philosophy is we take the least amount of time on the pre-hospital care side of things so that we can get them to the actual care they need that is going to that is really going to drive the outcome that we want. That you know that that's that's amazing. 4 minutes it has to be done in 4 minutes, but you guys get it done in two minutes so they have time if there's an error or to deal with the use of the chaos when you're in a imagine being in a high school football team and the parents come rushing out of the stands or something i can only imagine right. what that must be like so it's obviously a, a, it has to be as you, uh, you use the word choreographed now i understand why you're saying choreographed because all these pieces have to come together very very quickly in order to accomplish yeah. what you want to accomplish so we're coming up on the break folks when we come back okay i I'm going to ask him to talk about how they do this. How do they train these people in their facility, okay, to do this so that they can respond appropriately? Because very interesting, if you listen to that story he just told, um, 
you can see that there's definitely an issue here with time and doing it absolutely correctly. Probably has something to do with their philosophy of you must respond flawlessly, um, and you got two minutes to do it in. How's that for crunch time? If you want to know more about what they do, go to their website, sportsmedicineconcepts.com, sportsmedicineconcepts.com. They train people all over the country, so that's how it works. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the fruited plain here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Lots of information up there. The shows are posted up there. They're also on TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and, and iTunes. So all the platforms these shows are posted up there. You know, if you're listening to this broadcast and you're very interested in what these folks do at Sports Medicine Concepts, this show is up there. If you want to tell somebody in your school board about it or whatever the case may be, the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Joining me, Mike Sedona, CEO, um, athletic trainer uh, and founder of Sports Medicine Concept. We're talking about what they do. It's a very unusual a practice, if you will, that they have, that what they do and how they train. And you've heard some compelling uh, stories today and information about how they they do all of this and, and the time factor involved. It literally, from the time that team, uh, that, that group that you see rush on the field, and we're going to talk about that in this segment, they've got two minutes. That's just amazing, Mike. I mean, so talk about who's in that team that we see rush on the field uh, to tend to that athlete if they've been seriously injured or even injured at all, actually. Sure. Uh, and, and that who who is in that initial team depends on the environment that you're in. At the professional level, uh, that team is going to be comprised of an athletic trainer, maybe two or three athletic trainers, and probably your team physician. Uh, those are going to be the ones that uh, make the initial assessment of the athlete, uh, decide what next level of care is appropriate, uh, and then allocate the resources that are required to handle that injury scenario, which may involve bringing in a trauma physician. Uh, it may involve bringing in EMTs and paramedics. Um, it, you know, at some levels, it may involve bringing in an airway management physician. Uh, so there, there's a lot of assets depending on the level uh, or, or depending on the environment, I should say, not level, but the environment that you're in. In a, in, in a high school, that person that runs out onto the field after you're injured athlete uh, is going to be an athletic trainer. And their job is potentially even more uh, challenging than at the pro or professional level because they don't have all of those assets available to them right there on the sideline. But they still have to account for them. Just because you're at a high school and you don't have a functioning trauma center on your sideline like some of the pro sports do uh, doesn't mean you get a pass on what has to happen. So those athletic trainers at the high school are, are true warriors in the sense that they have to figure out how to do everything that we talk about in two minutes without all of those assets directly available to them from the sideline. Um, but uh, in, the, in that pattern... Uh, is consistent, whether it's at the high school, whether it's at the collegiate level, whether it's at the club level, or whether it's at the professional level. Um, I always tell uh, the people that we work with, you don't get a pass on any of those important critical care benchmarks because you don't have something available, readily available to you that somebody else does. 
Um, life doesn't care about that stuff. You still have to be able to hit those important benchmarks regardless of what assets you have directly available to you. You know, it's, it's now your job to realize the limitations of the assets you have available to you and plan for it and plan to be able to hit those important benchmarks regardless. You know, and what's interesting is it seems to me in, in looking at this backwards, uh, the NFL teams, uh, the pro teams, even the college teams probably, because they have the money and the ability, um, have a bigger staff and, and different people that are right there to help take care of this. But the pressure on the club level trainer or the pressure on the high school level trainer or even the small college level trainer, that's got to be huge. I mean, thinking back to that story you just told earlier in the broadcast, you were that guy. So they really yeah. have to know what they're doing because if they make a mistake, there's no do-over, Mike. Right. That, so, that's an extremely important point. You, you don't get a do-over in certain cases. And, and we train medical teams for the cases when you don't get the do-over uh, for, for that exact reason. You don't get a do-over. You, you miss an ACL, some, an athlete tears an ACL or a ligament in their knee, it's not a good day. You certainly don't want to put it on your resume that you didn't see that, uh, that you didn't handle it appropriately. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal compared to if you miss some sort of critical care benchmark uh, because you failed to plan for it or you failed to train for it. You don't get to go back and do that again. No, you, you don't, and it's remarkable. So talk a little bit about how you do this. Um, how do you – so high school calls you up in Midland, Texas, and says, hey, you know, uh, or, 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 or uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes' hometown, uh, Tyler, Texas, and says, hey, you know, we, 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 we want you to – we need help. How, how do you approach that, and how do you help those folks train? We have, we have two different ways. Um, medical teams are more than welcome to come here to the Elite Sports Emergency Care Training Center that we have in Avon, New York, as you mentioned at the introduction. They're more than, more than welcome to come here. We love that. Um, but what we're known for is our ability to bring our simulation directly to them. So our, our preference is that we pack up our mobile simulation equipment and we bring it out to the Kansas City Chiefs or we bring it out to that high school in, in Texas. Um, and we're very, very good at bringing our uh, ability to train interdisciplinary medical teams on the road. So we, we, our, our philosophy is you practice like you play. If you're going to have to do all these critical care things together as a medical team in a certain venue, then you need to train to do it in that venue. Um, so, so we're very astute at, at making that happen. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because I was just sitting here thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that field, uh, the field in Tyler, actually, where Mahomes played. I have a very good friend who lives down there. We served together in the military, and so I've been down there a couple of times. And that's a beautiful stadium. It's a real, looks like a semi-pro stadium or a college stadium. So you, I, I was thinking yeah. to myself, it's got to be important for you when you've got two minutes and four minutes to know access, you know, exit points, all that stuff has got to be critical. So you do have to train at the facility to get the optimum result, right? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Those are the things that are that chaos that I talked about that chew up the two, the, a lot of that four minutes if you haven't rehearsed that properly. So then what goes into that kind of training, Mike? You get there, they say, hey, we've got a problem. We know it. Okay, maybe we had a kid injured and, and we, didn't get, we didn't take care of him properly or, you know, the, the school, the parents are, are not happy with the way things are going. How do you guys do that and how long does that take? What's that program look like? 
depending on the level, uh, you know, depending on the team that we're starting with and, and what training they have, uh, what emergency action planning uh, efforts they've put forth prior to our arrival, uh, it could be a four-hour training day. It could be an eight-hour training day. Uh, it could be longer. Uh, it, it really depends on the team. Uh, and what that what that medical team needs to to be able to hit those important benchmarks. But generally speaking, it starts with a very very rudimentary uh, program introduction where we walk through with the medical team. Here are some fairly common uh, emergency scenarios that you need to be prepared for, and we walk through those together as a team, and we say. Here is the first important benchmark. How are we going to choreograph each of our skill sets to meet that benchmark? Who's going to do what? Who's going to do that and when? And do we have all the right tools to do it? Do we have all the right resources? Do we have all the right people? Um, do we have all the right equipment? Is that equipment operational, functional, and ready to perform the job you're going to ask it to do? So it's a very laborious beginning to the day when we are walking through and allocating resources and checking those resources to make sure they're going to be available, including skill sets and personnel. And then as the day progresses, we get more and more into practice where we start rehearsing those things that we have been going through in the morning session, if you will. Uh, and, and we rehearse and we rehearse and we debrief and we rehearse and we do it over and over and over again until finally we roll out some of our high fidelity patient simulators and we say, and we program those patient simulators with certain injury scenarios. And that team is now responsible for figuring out what's wrong and uh, deciding what is the appropriate level of care and, and, and actually carrying that care out. And the, the patient simulators don't lie. You're either doing it right or you're not. Um, so it's, it's very, very objective feedback that we are able to provide. Um, and we use that to inform the emergency action planning and preparation process over and over and over again until we are hitting those benchmarks and the timestamps that we want to see. You know, so I guess it's the old adage, practice makes perfect, and you're going to practice, practice, it, practice until till they've got it into that two-minute zone and four-minute zone, yes? It's perfect. It's flawless practice that yeah. we are after, yeah. And, that, and that's yeah. why that's part of your – and by the way, I've seen the simulator. It's on the website, folks. That they, they look pretty real. He even has a name for a couple of them. We're going to come right back after break. Yeah, we they, come, all, they all have names. There we go. See, <laughs> we come back after the break. I'm going to talk a little bit about the WAVI program, concussion protocol, and how Mike feels about that and how they're interacting with the WAVI Concussion Protocol Program. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. If you want more information, if you're one of those high schools out there, or a college, or even a club-level program, the website is sportsmedicineconcepts.com, sportsmedicineconcepts.com. You heard what he said. We'll pack it up and come to you and train your folks right there so you get it right and learn how to do it the right way. Could make a big difference. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break once again with more with Mike Sedona from sportsmedicineconcepts.com. Welcome back. 
back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about my guest at sportsmedicineconcept.com. He is Mike Sindoma, CEO and founder of Sports Medicine Concepts. They do some pretty unique stuff. Um, if you are a high school, if you're a college, if you're a club-level team, whatever the case may be, they come to you and they train you. And as he said, they teach you how to do it in two minutes when the protocol is actually four minutes. can make a big difference if that's one of your student athletes out there on the field uh, with a significant injury. All right, Mike, you've met with Steve Sambor, my partner uh, here at Midwest Brain Health Technologies, you know, and he's shown you how the WAVI program works. You know, one of the things I think was most unique about the WAVI program versus the standardized assessments was, and I, and I, and I got this when we were actually doing some research on this from talking to some college athletes and high school athletes who told me, oh yeah, we're told, we're coached on how to answer those questions on the standardized assessment. And I pushed my chair back to the table and I said, wait a minute, you want to run that by me one more time? They said, yeah, the coaches tell you how you need to answer those questions so you can have a return to play. Well, that, that, I found that a little surprising, I guess. But I, the other thing that, that concerned me about that is as many as 30% of these kids are returning to play when they shouldn't be returning to play after a concussion. So how do you see the WAVI, the P300, uh, and all of that coming together to make a difference with these kids so we really know if it's safe for them to have a return to play? Mike? Yeah, you know, we, we deal with sports emergencies primarily, right? So, you know, a, ca- a potential catastrophic head injury as it, as it happens on the field. But, you know, the other component of that is, as you say, the concussion side of things. When it, a concussion is a little bit of a different animal than a traumatic brain injury that we have to manage on the field. So the, the, the issue is we don't have an x-ray that can show us that we have a concussion and we, that we can use to track recovery from that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're looking at this from a really subjective point of view, and we're really relying on the athletes to report the signs and symptoms that we know indicate uh, that return to play is or is not appropriate at that time. So that's very, very challenging for the healthcare professionals, uh, especially, as you say, when they are not, and in certain instances, they're not accurately reported for one way or for one reason or another. Um, but we do know that reporting those signs and symptoms is uh, is problematic. So, Tests such as the WAVI system that look at something and give us more objectional or more objective data to help us make our clinical decisions is, is, is certainly very, very valuable to us. Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing about the WAVI is it takes four minutes to do the scan. And when that's yeah. done, I mean, you know, I, I hearken back to a story here in Kansas City where a doctor over at HCA had a hockey player who'd been concussed four times. And he passed all the uh, assessment tests. And doctor thought, no, I'm not so sure about that. And he sent him to Blue Valley Physical Therapy here in Kansas City. And they ran the scans on him and came back and said, there's no way this boy is ready to go back to play. In fact, if he does go back to play, he may be permanently damaged where he can't play anymore. So how important right. is that for trainers, you know, for, for parents, okay, and for coaches to know what they're doing, A, is safe and in the best interest of the athlete um, and that they are capable of going to return to play? Right. Well, we always steer clear of the word safe. Um, we, okay. we try and be as safe as possible. We, we try and be safer uh, but we're never really truly safe when we when we make these decisions because we just don't have that marker uh, that you know that X-ray that shows us that the fracture is healed. We just don't have that. So we really have to rely on systems like Wavi that give us uh, an objectionable or uh, objective measure to help us be safer in our return to play because that is very very critical uh, with concussion or an inappropriate return to play is a very dangerous situation. 
uh, in the P300 seems to seems to give us a little bit more of an objective measure because it has been shown to remain abnormal when all of our other more widely used and accepted standardized assessments for concussion would indicate return to play as appropriate. And, you know, lo and behold, we find that the P300 may still represent abnormal, which gives us reason to pause. We, we don't really, I don't know as though we know why uh, it's, it's still abnormal. We don't really necessarily know why, but at least gives us the clinical ability to go back and say, well, what are we looking at signs and symptoms wise? Maybe we dig a little deeper and maybe we find a reason. Uh, but without that, without that marker from the P300, we wouldn't have had that reason to pause and go back and take a little drill, drill down a little deeper, if you will, and, and find out why that person might not be uh, ready to return to play. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you combine that P300 with the EEG, and as you mentioned, even before we went back on the air again, this technology has been around forever. But the difference with Wavi is the way they put it together in the algorithms and the readouts you get on the test where that evoked response that, it, you know, when that evoked response shows that their response times are not what they should be. And then you get a, you know, you get that image, that picture of the brain that shows, well, you know, it's blue here when it should be red or it's red here when it should, you know, whatever the case may be, it's, there's a clear marker there as you discussed where the parent and the athlete and the coach uh, can look at that and go you're right he's not ready to go back or she's not ready to go back so it it does make a difference I think I think you're 100% correct on that yeah I I saw that that was very very interesting to me when I started looking at the p300 and I I found in the p300 was something that's been measured for decades in the in the literature and it's been found to be valid and and reliable uh, as a measurement tool or a a feedback Uh, and then just you know for as Steve said when he was here, the, the ability of Wavi to very quickly calculate that P300 versus I, I think he said, you know, nerds down in the basement with calculators trying to calculate all the EEG material yeah. to come up with a P300. Wavi just does that instantaneously. So yeah, yeah. and and the beauty um, of it know, is that, it, that's a big benefit. Yeah, it does it, and, and you get all the reports out. So, well, thank you so much yeah. for coming on today, and I thought this was a great show to do. And you know, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. We'd like to have you back on again sometime and talk some more about some of the other things you guys do. Would love to have the opportunity. What an, what an honor to be invited on your show and, and have the opportunity to discuss these things with you. I, I appreciate the opportunity very much. Well, folks, you know, I, as I, you know, I've told you this before. I mean, I told you this when I had Dr. Uh, uh, Sperling on. You know, I, I, I try to bring stuff on this air, shows on this air, and information that, you know, inform people of better ways to do things. So in this particular case, Mike Sendoma and sports medicine concepts, very unusual, very different, extremely well-run organization, very professional group of people. Uh, As you can tell, the man has a passion for what he does. If you are one of those high school teams, those college teams, those club teams, and you're looking for help, these are the guys to go to. They'll come to you. You don't have to go to New York unless, of course, you want to. But they will come to you, and they'll be happy to help you. The website is sportsmedicineconcepts.com, sportsmedicineconcepts.com. Our folks, and now I leave you with this thought from Albert Einstein. The one who follows the crowd will usually get no further than the crowd. The one who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever been. Remember, friends, it's a funny thing about life. If you refuse to accept anything but the very best, you most often get it. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America.